in on Canuck Central, Dan Riccio and uh, Satyar Shah. Still to come, Brad May will join us, former Canuck, and uh, had several nights where he uh, dropped the mitts with one Rick Tockett. So we'll have to, uh, since we did it with Ed Jovanovsky last week, we'll yeah. have to do it uh, with Brad May this week. They're always fun uh, hearing stories about guys who battled in the yeah. past. <laughs> Uh, has a scar over his right eye, thanks to Rick Tockett, does Brad May. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll get to some of that coming up a little bit later on in the program. But uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is uh, Kevin Woodley in Gold Magazine and NHL.com. What's happening, Woodley? Not much. I think I want to know more. So whether you're going to poke the bear, get under the skin of one Brad May at the Canucks Autism <laughs> Network tournament for each, and see if, uh, see if you're willing to put on a few... Uh, had a few scars. Yeah, we, we played against Mayday last year. You know, luckily most of the pros they don't they don't take the shots on you. But I, if I remember correctly, it was just Nathan Lafayette that uh, oh, didn't didn't care work. about the rules. He was just going after you all night, Woodley. Yeah, no, he put me to work. He put me. I felt good because <laughs> I actually made a few saves, which is rare for me. So it was it was good. But I don't have to worry about you know, gig, like nobody fighting the goalie. Yeah. So that's, that's why I want to know whether you're willing to go full. You know, I've seen you out there. Get under the skin, little <laughs> agitation. See if we can get the gloves off out there. Yeah, I, that's that's just how I got to play as uh, a diminutive only forward. One, the only way you know how, Reach. That's it. Uh, by the way, way uh, at Kevin is in goal on Twitter, and uh, you can find the draw that he has up in support of the Canucks Autism Network, giving away some signed jerseys. You've already given away a Demco jersey. You got a Patterson and Hughes jersey still to come too, as well. Yeah, I figured we'd do three. The Demco uh, went uh, to the winner was Paul Chin. And if anybody thinks that it's rigged, it definitely isn't because I didn't know this when I drew his number. But uh, he lives in Ontario, so it cost me quite a bit more to send it to him. <laughs> um, so i got to remember that I have Twitter followers outside of BC. That could get really expensive if anyone's overseas. But, yeah, essentially all you got to do, the links, they're, they're all over my Twitter. Go to our my page, which is part of the Sportsnet 650 team page, and anybody who makes it a donation, I get a notification. Uh, Ten dollars gets you one entry. Twenty dollars gets you three entries. And if you if you give a hundred dollars, you can get a tax receipt too. Um, <laughs> I will give you twenty entries to all three draws. Obviously, the Demco jersey is gone, but we still got an Elias Pettersson that I'm gonna draw on the 28th. So I guess that's after the game on Saturday night towards midnight, and then right on October 31st, the end of this thing. Uh, Quinn Hughes black skate jersey. So appropriate for Halloween. We'll give that away as well. So, you know what? Um, it's not technically a raffle. It's just me wanting to, rather than just ask people to donate to what is a good cause, I want to pay people back. And, and this is my way of thanking them by, uh, Thanks to my friends at the hockey shop, gathering some some jerseys that I can give away. That's awesome. And uh, at Kevin is in goal on Twitter, you can find the link uh, to his player page and where to donate there. Uh, all right. So last night, uh, Canucks beat the Nashville Predators in what I thought was uh, one of their 
most comprehensive games like that I've seen in a while. I mean, uh, the ice was just tilted in Nashville's end most of the night. I, I would have to imagine, you know, it's, uh, it's not often a Canucks netminder doesn't have too much work to do on a night. No, that's one of the, you know, that's, that is one of the lowest sort of expected goals. Like, like Nashville generated three high danger chances all night, two medium danger. And then the other 11 were low. Uh, expected goals were 1.11. Like Thatcher Demko's numbers actually took a hit last night. So uh, that was that was good. That was impressive. That was sort of a little more along the lines of of what this team was billed to do this season in terms of defensively. Now listen, the Nashville Predators are not uh, a juggernaut offensively. Um, you know their goal creation, especially off the cycle, is near the well, it's 31st in the inoffensive zone play, um, 24th overall, like they don't generate a ton. At the other end, Nashville's also one of the, has been, they've been undone by goaltending, which is I don't think anything we, we thought we'd say uh, going into this season, but they've been one of the best defensive teams, and which, which is why I think you excuse the fact that as little as Vancouver gave up and for all that offensive zone possession time they had, they didn't generate crap right? Like they had two high danger chances for the entire game that hit the net and they scored on the one medium danger, which opened the scoring, which sort of set the tone there. So um, the Canucks out expected goals, the Nashville Predators, 1.54 to 1.11. That was uh, from an entertainment standpoint, maybe not up there, but from a process standpoint, you liked a lot of what you saw from the Vancouver Canucks. And like I said, yeah, they didn't generate much, but that's what Nashville does to you. So they got it done. Uh, it was it was the easiest night, especially that Demko has had this season. And you hope that it's you know more than just the opponent and something they can build on. Well, and one of the big questions has been the pairing of uh, Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronic and whether they can keep those guys together and be successful. And clearly, last night they could. And the roadmap to where they've gotten to doing that in terms of using Ian Cole a lot and, and really doing it by committee seems to be something that is working right now. Can that be something they can keep leaning on? The fact that they're getting away with it on the road is encouraging, no, because mm-hmm. that's where it's harder to dictate those matchups. Like, as they come home, they have more control over these things. And so, you know, listen, like, to say absolutely, Sat coming off a night where they gave up almost nothing. Like, I think that can be a little misleading. Mm-hmm. The Florida game, you know, they gave up an expected two and a half. Tampa Bay was almost five, and the Flyers game was 5.57, which is a whopping number. So is it coming down? Is it headed in the right direction? It looks like it, but this is still a really early sample size. So um, the fact they're able to get away with it, you know, loading up that top pairing and balancing things out beneath it, is really encouraging because it happens on the road. Let's see what it looks like at home. It should be easier. And let's see what it looks like against opponents that have maybe a little more offensive depth than the Nashville Predators today. So we've talked quite a bit about uh, the goalie split so far with, with Thatcher Demko and, and Casey DeSmith. Um, I want to start on DeSmith um, because yeah, Demko didn't have a ton of work last night as we know. And, um, DeSmith did have quite a bit of work on Saturday and you know, he made the 37 saves against Edmonton in his first start. He's 2-0 so far, which is great for the Canucks uh, coming out of the gate, obviously. Um, but 
to me, he looked better in his second start against Florida than he did even in that 37 save performance against Edmonton. Yeah, and they they didn't give much give up much either, right? Like I just walked you through sort of you know how the expected goals against have decreased, you know, pretty much from from Philly through Tampa into to Florida and and then last night Nashville. And I mean, I I like I've been impressed. Uh, we've talked about second chances. Uh, we've talked about rebounds, and and those two aren't necessarily the same thing. Like you can give up rebounds that don't lead to second chances. You can give up good rebounds, right? Like you can control pucks off you. You can keep them in front of you and put them in non-dangerous areas. And even though DeSmith has given up a lot of rebounds overall, like the majority of them are positive. Um, it's funny though. I think the fact that those rebounds are there, um, maybe it's combined. Like he's really quick from his knees laterally East West maintains a nice wide butterfly that allows him to make those lateral adjustments and those lateral pushes um, without having to sort of load them up. Like, they're, they're quick, fast, and he, and he maintain, maintains a lot of coverage as he makes them. There's not a lot of big open and close movements. I really like that in his game. And you're going to need it if you're going to, you know, have pucks laying around the edge of the crease on second chance opportunities. Um, I think, though, some of that has made the workload look tougher. Um, and I guess I'll ask you, guys, like, if you guys were to guess, would you assume that his – the difficulty is his evenings are similar to Thatcher Demko's to this point. Cause I even saw, and I don't know how, frankly, I can't tell on Twitter these days. I'm one of the olds. I don't know what sarcasm and what's real, but I legitimately thought I saw someone pushing for more, you know, Casey to dismiss starts ahead of Thatcher Demko at one point. And I just, I just ignored it. So I don't know if it was serious or not, but like I've seen some of that. Right. I think people are uh, always looking for a goalie controversy in Vancouver. Yeah, right? to, to some degree. <laughs> that's what it is. I, I'm sure that's part of it. But, I mean, but the numbers actually do show that. What, what's a discrepancy then in the environment as both goalies it's have pretty, faced? It, it's pretty wide. Sat. Like, again, even with last night's, um, you know, relatively easy workload for Thatcher Demko, his expected save percentage on the season is 861. It was 848 going into last night, which would have been – the fourth lowest in the league. Casey dismissed through two starts is the second highest in the NHL right now at 919. So that's not taking anything away from what Casey has done at all because it's been really impressive. But when it comes to workload, like I, and that's why I say I, I'm trying to figure out, frankly, and explain why it looks so much busier, why it look at times looks harder. Because at the end of the day, the math, the numbers, the analytics, and, and, you know, these are all tracked manually. This isn't just computers pulling, pulling stuff off video feeds. Um, there's quite a discrepancy there. Like, Casey's had an easier workload, and I don't know that a lot of people, based on the eye test, especially after that Edmonton game, would have seen it that way. So, um, listen, a big part of that is Demko having that Flyers night. Like, that was even Flyers in Tampa Bay. Like, any time here around five expected goals against – and the Flyers were, you know, were, were almost approaching six and Tampa Bay was close to five. Like those are going to skew the numbers in the small sample. So that's probably largely what we've got here. And it's as much about Thatcher being near the bottom of the league. But this team has done a really good job in front of Casey DeSmith and he's backed them up. And th- that all bodes well, right? Like even when those second chance opportunities are there, the Canucks are doing a really nice job of boxing out, of moving bodies, of chipping pucks away from dangerous areas. Um, and not allowing 
you know, rebounds to become second chances. Even the Edmonton game, we talked about 15 rebounds, but only two of them resulted in immediate shots again. So um, there's a nice synergy there between team and goalie. And for the sake of Demko staying rested, especially after some of the nights he's had this year, obviously, again, last night an exception, um, that all bodes well for him, you know, that confidence and the coach having confidence and getting more starts. But when we look at the numbers, there's a there's a significant difference in environment between the two so far. And again, it's so early. All these things tend to swing towards the middle. Uh, I don't expect Thatcher Demko's expected save percentage because we believe this team is better defensively. I don't expect it to remain, you know, one of the toughest defensive environments in the league. This isn't two and three years ago. Uh, and I don't expect expect Casey's to stay amongst the easiest in the league, frankly. Mm-hmm. So what will be interesting to see is what happens to the raw numbers as some of the underlying start to wash out a little bit and approach, you know, middle ground between each other. And I think what you touched on earlier in terms of the eye test, and I think that's maybe the more telling and interesting part of scouting early season hockey is what are the Canucks doing in terms of being a team that can trend in the right direction? And generally speaking, they've had made mistakes, of course, but you're right. They're boxing out better. Their details are along the boards are a lot better. Their exits for generally, there's a better idea to how they're implementing those things. It seems like when you just watch them play, they're not compound mistake after mistake at times they're able to hold the fort a lot more effectively and I think those are the things to me that have been more encouraging than any numbers that we've been looking at the past few games yeah and I mean you know the one thing that that it's a little they're middle of the pack against the rush and again there's a couple games that skew this uh 15 uh in their own zone again by the metrics it's, it's tough to say this after a night like last night, and clearly things are trending in the last two games in a better direction, but they're 29th, and on the PK, it's 32nd. So there's still work to do. Um, you know, I, this is not trying to be, because Vancouver media, right? Got to be negative. I'm just saying that there's underlying numbers here that if, if, if they don't continue to improve, if they don't continue to do what they did last night against Nashville, history says they catch up with you. Um, and, and the fact that their com- their tandem combined went into last night top five in the NHL in um, save percentage differential and and goal saved above expected before last night's game, you know, told you a lot of this was was you know based on goaltending. And so I'm with you. Like the eye test, it doesn't look as bad. The math still isn't as friendly to them. And I'm I'm more curious to see where we are 15, 20 games in. I expect the math to get better based on what I'm seeing on the eye test. And now the question is, does that happen? Mm-hmm. Probably the, the most surprising thing that you just mentioned there is is the PK, because I've been really impressed with how they've been able to penalty kill so far this year. Yeah, no, and, and you know, that that's why we have these things, right? Like, there are times, and, and I'm going to be careful here. I still cash a check <laughs> once a month from the NHL. Um I was going to say there are times and there are places, including a certain new website with statistics um, that might, might sort of indicate that things are better than what we actually know about what creates goals and scoring chances. And so, um, you know, the fact is right now by those numbers, that's where the goaltending has been at, and it's at its best. Um, but if you continue to create and, and give up those sorry, give up those types of chances, uh, you, you don't like how things will end up overall. And like I said, it's early. It's a tiny sample. I, I'm with you both. I'm surprised based on what I've watched that this is what the numbers are. 
But that's why we have the numbers. The numbers don't lie. And it makes it a little more sort of, you know, it's, it's the grain of salt, right? Like everything, they just gave up almost nothing all night to the natural predators, right? But, mm-hmm. but where are we at? They're coming off a road trip in great shape compared to seasons past. And I look at this compared to the eye test, I, and I see, like, growth, room for a lot more growth. Yeah. And again, out of six sample size, six-game sample size, three tough ones, the one in Edmonton, and then the two in, in Philly and Tampa, like, that's going to skew these numbers badly. So mm-hmm. um, I'm still with you. I just have an eye on these because they're still not as flattering as I think most of us would expect them to be. Kevin Woodley, our guest here on uh, Canucks Central. So moving away from the Vancouver Canucks, uh, the biggest story in the league right now seems to be how much the Edmonton Oilers have been struggling to this point in the season, just with the one win through six. A Con- lot of crocodile tears in uh, Vancouver. Yeah, Connor McDavid's hurt. They gave up five goals in the third period to the Minnesota Wild of all teams last night. I, I guess my question is, uh, is, is it uh, how much of this is on goaltending with Jack Campbell and Stuart Skinner off to slow starts? How much of it is defending? How much is both? <laughs> what are you seeing with the Edmonton Oilers? Well, it's a little of column A and it's a little of column B, yeah. right? Like like Stuart Skinner in particular. Uh, I thought he had a better, but his last start was his best start. And then he sort of stubbed his toe on the whole thing and, and made it disappear with the puck handling mistake. And then, you know, three on three is what it is. But one of the things that's plagued him early statistically is he's getting killed on layered screens, which aren't him. That's guys in the wrong lanes, or it's not all him because he's in the right spot and the defenseman art or when they – when they've been in the right lane, there's guys that aren't willing to eat pucks. Tell me if you've heard that before talking about, you know, the Vancouver Canucks in this market. Um, there's a lot of that in Edmonton right now, but he's also getting killed on deflections. And part of that is him being too deep in the net. We saw it twice here in Vancouver. It's like, that's where he plays. And so if you're going to give up open sort of lanes in the middle of the ice for shots, like that's your first thing. If he's going to play deep, you can't give up the middle and they're giving up the middle and, and they're not doing a good enough job on, on players in front of the net from preventing those tips. And if he's deep, like the rule of thumb is the closer I can get to a deflection point, the more net I take away from where that puck is tipped. And if he's playing half ice in his crease or half depth, that's a lot of sort of space for that puck to change direction. It's a lot of distance between changing direction going by him. He's not closing down on that at all. And that's how he plays. So either he adjusts, or they get better at the other thing. Um, you know, Jack Campbell's fine. He's right around expected, which, tell me if you've heard this before or not, is where he was in his best seasons in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Like, that's where he was. But they were a good enough defensive team that he got five times five and 25 sheets. Like, his numbers are actually almost identical to where he was in Toronto. He's, he is, he's not been the problem. The, over, the overriding problem is where they are defensively. Mm-hmm. You know, five-on-five high-danger chances, 29th in the league. Off the rush, 32nd. And here's the other part. It's going to be a lot of discussion because I asked this question. I do a weekly show there, and that was a question I asked of the host. Like, the underlines in Edmonton last year were flattering. They were good defensive. And I think some of that masked, you know, Stuart Skinner's play a little bit. Or masked isn't the right word. He played in front of a goalie-friendly environment last year and posted some really good numbers. And as a first-year NHL goalie, that's all impressive but I wondered what would happen if the environment soured and it soured in a big way. And so the question is from the outside, why would you change your system in zone? And then you've probably heard about it. A lot of talk about them switching over to a box plus one. Now more of a zone defense rather than, a, you know, straight up man on man. 
And why would you do that when you were a good defensive team last year? And now they're bleeding goals and everybody's pointing to it. But the interesting thing is when I look at the numbers, in zone defensively, they're third. In terms of high danger chances against where they're getting killed is off the rush. They're giving up a ton through the neutral zone. They're giving a top, up a ton of pure rush chances. There's like almost no resistance at their blue line. They've got no – like there are a lot of things outside of the change in the D zone that are wrong with the way this team is playing. And the goaltending isn't bailing it out. I don't think the goaltending had to bail it out last year because they were that team. They're like the Leafs for years. Everybody's like, ah, running gun, they don't defend. Well, it wasn't true. Well, now it's true. And actually, it's not even true. It's true that they're giving up running gun, defending, but they ain't doing any running because at the other end, they're generating in their 19th in expected goals for. So, you know, at least if you're going to be one of the worst defensive teams, trade chances, they're not even trading chances. And they just look like a team that's, that's a little bit caught in between. And you know, in their own zone, you could argue that's a change. And I do wonder, again, this is a conversation we've heard a lot in Vancouver, like, you know, we talked over the years about systems and reads and, and do you, if you re- have a defensive system that relies on reads, do you require defenders with good hockey IQ? And so if you're making that change in Edmonton, do you trust the hockey IQ of your defenseman to make those reads? And right now they're struggling with it. How much of that is, is this the best for them? And how much is that they just need time? I guess we'll see. But right now, none of it's working. They don't have McDavid. Frankly, I'm not sure they ever had the goalies to bail out a defensive performance this bad. Nobody just realized it last year because nobody recognized that it was a defense that was actually real good. So none of it looks good early on. And this isn't the case of like a team that's controlling everything and, and it'll just come. They're not good on the underlying numbers at either end of the ice. And we all know they have the horses up front to bail out you know, middling possession and, and chance generation statistics because the McDavid's and the dry sidles, you give them an inch, they find it with, you know, mm-hmm. they shoot the puck there and it's in. They don't have that in their own end. Like even if Stuart Skinner starts to get his feet under him and play like he did last year, he was never as exposed last year as he has been in these starts so far. Well, and uh, the Canucks have a five-point lead on Edmonton. It's early in the season, but another opportunity here to take advantage when other teams are struggling, and they take on the Blues on Friday. And the Blues have Jordan Bennington, who's been lights out in goal so far this year. Uh, what, are you, what are you seeing with the Blues and Bennington? And, and maybe the Canucks don't even face them. It depends on how they handle their back-to-backs. Joel Hoffer is the backup there. Uh, how do you see what Bennington and the Blues have been doing? Well, it's funny because when I when I sort of I ran the numbers yesterday in part because you know Vancouver was in Nashville and I would have picked Nashville to have a top five, you know, and I put through those up on Twitter and it generated a fair amount of conversation. I, I thought Nashville would be a top tandem in the league, and instead the Canucks were top five. And another team that was you know ahead of the Canucks actually was the St. Louis Blues, and a lot of that is Bennington. Now, interestingly enough, how do you get to be near the top of the league? Well, some of the teams are are good goaltending on good teams. Vegas, for example, is getting like really high quality minutes out of both Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson, who's been a revelation bounce back guy. Um, but a lot of these teams, like including Pierre Morazic, uh, and I can't even remember the name of the backup, like Arvid Solderbloom in Chicago. Like <laughs> you have to play behind a, like to put up these types of goals saved above expected numbers early in the season. Chances are you're playing really well behind a bad defensive team because if you have a solid one goal against night and you're only giving up, you know, two expected, you know, you're just chipping away. But these, these teams are having nights like Demko had in Philadelphia, right? Like 
He gives up two, and they expected close to six. He saves four, right? So that's the case in St. Louis. Um, I've said this since they won the Cup. The narrative that they're a good defensive team is not true, and that's kind of held up. It's been Bennington early. Hofer's performing much like much like actually um, Casey DeSmith is here in Vancouver. The numbers are actually quite similar relative to expected. I think you'll probably get Hofer here in Bennington and Calgary, um, but we'll see. Um, for the most part, though, this is really good goaltending need to prop, needing to prop up what is, you know, as it has been for a couple of years now, not a great defensive team in St. Louis. Uh, Woodley, you're the best. Always wish we had more time. Thanks for this. Well, if I talked a little less, we'd get through more questions. <laughs> but I do appreciate the plug for the Can Autism Network. Make sure you check it out. Kevin is in goal on Twitter. All the auction details are up there. Thanks, guys. Awesome, Woodley. There he is, uh, Kevin Woodley, the goalie guru, and uh, got some uh, jerseys up for grabs, potentially, uh, with a uh, donation to his page at the Canucks Autism Network. Again, you can find it on his Twitter account, at Kevin is in goal. So yes, the Canucks will be getting St. Louis on the second half of a back-to-back Friday. We'll see if they can take advantage. We know uh, first game back from a lengthy road trip is usually uh, a tricky spot for most NHL teams. Yeah, and so is the last the game of a road trip, and that didn't stop the Canucks from having good performance. Yeah. So another professional game on Friday is what I'm expecting. Uh, professional. Yes. <laughs> Be professional. That's the new Canucks motto. From structure uh, <laughs> to professional. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. May Day, Brad May, former Canuck, coming up next on Canuck Central. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in on Canucks Central, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. We were just talking about the uh, Canucks Autism Network Pro-Am with Kevin Woodley. Well, the Pro-Am silent auction is live now. Help support Can by bidding on signed memorabilia, Canucks tickets, local getaways, spa and golf experiences, and more. The Canucks Autism Network provides valuable programs and services for children, youth, and adults on the autism spectrum auction closes on October 30th for more information on the auction and event info visit canproam.ca I have a uh, Quinn Hughes autographed rookie card up for uh, I guess a giveaway for one lucky donator to my page a $50 donation gets you into the draw and uh, into well Supporting a great program in Canucks Autism Network and, of course, a chance to win the card as well. So I appreciate if you did that at Dan Richo underscore. You can check out all the details there via my Twitter account. And uh, if you're able, uh, please consider a donation. So we were just reading through and talking about Elias Pettersson and the 32 Thoughts blog. Elliot mentions that Pettersson is part of his diet, some of the nutritional details he got, 5,000 calories a day. That's a lot of food. <laughs> That's a lot of food. Uh, on the bro- on the boat, uh, Pedersen brought his own meal, cabbage, radish, shrimp, edamame, and white rice. Yeah, yeah. I actually, good, actually recently discovered edamame. Really? Like you yep. buy them frozen, 
Wow. And then you, uh, I, I would make like a, a salmon rice bowl, throw a little edamame on it. Really? It's incredible. You didn't, you didn't know about it. I mean, I before? knew about edamame. I just you would know, only you buy frozen edamame. I, I mean, I just never did it. I knew you could. It's like, wow, I don't, they, they, they make this. <laughs> I just, it's not that I didn't know. I just, I, I hadn't like explored this option at home at any point. Lower mainland man discovers frozen edamame. <laughs> Um, it's uh, it's <laughs> local Vancouver man <laughs> discovers you can buy edamame beans at home. Uh, it's it's a great little addition if you're yes. making uh, rice bowls at home. Yeah, they're very tasty. Uh, I, I quite like them. Put a little bit of chili crisp on them with some salt. Chili crisp. I can't imagine eating five thousand calories a day. Like I mean, I could. It sounds. It, it doesn't I, it sound sound like, like like yeah. I don't have the greatest diet in the history of human beings. I don't. But five thousand calories is a ton of food, and it's scary how much food that is. I feel like you would have to eat all day. Yeah, you pretty much, you have to have like big meals. Like breakfast has to be a big meal. Lunch has to be a big meal. Yeah. Dinner has to be a big meal. Or like you're literally eating every hour. <laughs> like PD seems to be doing. Pedersen couldn't go on like a, a, a two hour yeah, journey go on the boat cruise. without packing like, you know, multiple <laughs> dishes of food. That kind of tells you about how, how constantly you have to keep eating. I pack a lunch. <laughs> yeah. You guys give me grief about eating much. I don't eat 5,000 calories. Well, you're like Brad Pitt. You're the Brad Pitt of sports at 650 I'm in so Ocean's eating. Eleven. You're just always eating. In many ways, he is yes. the Brad Pitt. Of <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but in terms of eating, yes, from that. Movie. But even when Josh was like bulking up and becoming swole, Josh getting ready for his wedding next year, <laughs> swole Josh. Yeah, that's what people I, I tell me. Yeah. The streets have been saying, "Hey, swole Josh, <laughs> this guy's swole." <laughs> swole Josh. Um. Trying to get a hold of uh, Brad May. Wanted to ask him about his four fights with Rick Tockett. Yeah, so far we're not getting through. But four we'll, fights in one year with Rick Tockett. Yeah, I want to. I want to. I want to hear about those fights. Uh, we'll keep. Uh, we'll keep trying with uh, Brad May. This one says unsigned text. Will be easy. Two supersized takeout meals. <laughs> yeah, but that's not the type of food you're trying to ingest for five thousand calories. Like you heard. What do you mean, sad calories in, calorie out? It's all the same. Yeah, no, it's not. It really isn't. It really isn't. But, uh, but <laughs> I love that calorie in, calorie out. It's all the same. <laughs> really? Really? You're going to tell me eating a Big Mac is the same as eating like chicken breast? <laughs> like, it's not. It's, well, it's, really it's, not. it's more than anything. It's like the, the protein that you're getting, the level of protein yes. and supersized fries don't have a ton of protein in them. Right. Or at least not they any don't. good proteins either. Uh, edamame beans, great, edamame. Like, great well, source that, of protein. Well, this is what, what, what did Patterson have again? <laughs> Read the list of uh, foods he Okay, had. That, like, it was uh, cabbage, yes, uh, rice, mm-hmm. uh, shrimp, and edamame. And, and edamame. So, I mean, the, those are the things he's eating to get to 5,000 calories. That doesn't sound as much fun as, like, yeah. you know, having a burger and fries. There's, you know what I mean? there's at least 40 to 50 uh, grams of protein in that meal. Yeah. It's good uh Good diet insight there for Elias Pedersen. Uh, this text, 5,000 cal, that's nothing. I used to work at McDonald's when I was 16 years old. It's, I took in like 20,000 cal just standing next to the food. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds about right. Um, well, uh, it's not even overrated, underrated yet, and we're already talking about all the food. Uh, we'll get to more of that coming up uh, after 5.30. Uh, tones... Um, Anyways, uh, do you want to read that one? <laughs> I, I don't. I, I didn't quite understand the context of it. Uh, is that what Quinn said they call Hughes 
Rusty from Oceans. Yeah, I think uh, somebody's nickname is Rusty from Oceans. Like right. I think somebody's nickname is. I'm not sure how it all kind of came to be. Which one's Rusty from Oceans? And I have not seen Oceans Eleven in such a long time that I don't remember the characters, other than Brad Pitt and George Clooney. Should I? Probably, but I don't. Don't well, judge me for that. No, Rusty is the Brad Brad Pitt character. Is he? Yeah. His name is Rusty. Yes. No way. Yeah. I think of Rusty in a movie, and I think of uh, Rusty Griswold. You know, I don't think of Brad Pitt in Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> That's what also known as Mr. Papa Giorgio. Now I want to watch uh, Ocean's Eleven tonight after all the sports. That's kind of what I want to put on before I go to bed tonight. For some reason, now I want to watch that movie. Uh, Vegas Vacation, underrated. Uh, Luke Hughes and Brad Pitt is called rusty tone so tone says luke calls quinn rusty because he's always eating mm. i guess well luke's gonna learn he's gonna have to eat five thousand calories sooner or later now that he's in the nhl <laughs> he's trying to get swole he's trying to be like josh <laughs> uh we got a random random question but i think you'd, you'd really appreciate i this like question. random questions and the text says this is random but i i gotta give props to Richo for picking up on pdg so early is pdg the new burrows <sighs> the new burrows yes and that's the question that... That's a stretch. As much as I like Phil DiGiuseppe. Yeah, he's not the new Burroughs. No. Easy like, answer. I, I don't... Uh, as much as I like uh, Phil DiGiuseppe, I don't foresee him being uh, as prolific with his production. Isn't he almost 30, too? As Alex Rose, he is 30. Yeah. Um. So, still a bit of a waste to go for Phil DiGiuseppe, but... Like Burroughs was 25 years, uh, sorry, Burroughs was 27 yeah. when he scored 28 goals. Yeah. So as far as like impact on the team, you know, he's playing on a big line and performing well so far. But even last year, the 30-game sample scored at a 30-point pace. This year, uh, he's one goal, two assists. I like a lot of what Phil DiGiuseppe does, but it's mostly his all-around game. I don't know if I expect production levels to be like what Alex Burroughs had with the Vancouver Canucks. No, I mean, he, he, the, a lot of similar qualities in terms of forechecking. You know, being a late bloomer, I think there are, you know, things that do kind of correlate yeah. here and you can look at, but the high end is very different. Uh, let's bring in our next guest, uh, former Vancouver Canuck, and he will be uh, in town for the Canucks Autism Network Pro-Am as uh, one of the Canuck alumni in the event. It is uh, Brad May. Thanks for this, Brad. How are you? I'm doing great, guys. How are, how's everything on the West Coast? Uh, everything's great start uh, for the Canucks. Uh, they're four and two so far. Everybody is buying in on uh, on Rick Tockett. And we were actually uh, in the break. We were watching some of your uh, your bouts with Rick. You had you had quite a few. You dropped the mitts one or two times with Rick Tockett, didn't you? You know what? I was actually lucky or unlucky. I, I actually had a uh, a bet or a promise with my older brother when I was drafted, and I was going to you know chase those dreams that when I made it, I had to fight Rick Tockett. And um, we ended up fighting four times my rookie year. And um, he got the best of me a little bit. And certainly in the first one, um, I learned a lesson. And then um, the other three, we had um, we had some pretty, fu- pretty good times. It was fun. And I mean, he's one of those guys, Rick Tockett, that it seems like everybody respects and likes now. And even, I guess, when you were a player, even if you fought him three or four times, it seems like he, he's a guy that everybody had and has a high level of respect for. Listen, he's one of the, he's one of my favorites um, growing up, no doubt. Playing against him, it was awesome um, having those exchanges. But 
I, I when Vancouver hired him last year, um, I was on many um, many interviews in Vancouver. Uh, Rick Talk, he's a lovable guy. He's an honest guy. Comes from humble beginnings, but hardest working guy. Um, built an unbelievable career. People love him, and his players obviously it, it, it's showing. Um, they may not like him every single day because he's awfully hard and he's demanding, but um, but you got to respect the man, no doubt about it. How, how much does that resonate with players when you know you've got a a guy who played in the league as long as as Rick did, played those hard minutes, scored a bunch of goals, played hard, worked for everything he got. He was what a fifth or, or sixth round pick. How much does that resonate uh, with with players in the room when they when they get the message from a coach like that? Well, I just think that you, you, everybody like he he he's worked hard for everything that he he achieved and. You know what's amazing? It's hard work's not tough. It's actually a ton of fun um, when you when you actually buy into the concept that you're going to get better, and this is the only way you're going to get there. Um, I don't think you know a lot of players would would wake up wanting to work as hard as a Rick Tockett did. But you know what? The moment that they learn that that skill, that mindset, um, you just look at the Canucks. Look at look at Pedersen. Look how well he's. He's come out at the gates, how good of a player he is. And, um, I mean, this guy, we, a lot of questions about Elias signing in Vancouver long-term in the future. Um, he, he's inspired by Rick Tockett, no question. But Pedersen himself, is, is he's one of my favorite players to watch. He's so talented, and um, the sky's the limit for him. Well, you mentioned also, uh, you know, fighting Rick Tockett. What, what made him such a difficult player in fights, like we're a difficult opponent in tilts. Well, the bottom line is that you have to be willing to. Here's the thing: there's no more fighting in hockey. So, but but going back, you have to be willing to. You know, as hard as you're going to throw a punch, you got to be willing to take and receive them as well, and not let that discourage you. And um, I mean, talk was just a. He was a beast. He he was a hardworking, strong guy. Um, what made him tough was he he was just resi- like resilient. Um, this guy like never stopped and he was so strong. Um, his fitness was definitely ahead of the game. I, I came in, Rick was a little older, obviously when I was a rookie, but, um, he came into the league in the eighties as a flyer. And I mean, we'll have some tough nights, but this guy was like a beast and like 10, 12 year old or 12 year veterans started to follow Rick Tockett and what, you know, his whole program was working out and getting in shape by the late eighties. Um, it, <laughs> I, I kind of like your comment there. Uh, there. There's no more fights in the NHL. Even when uh, guys are dropping the mitts these days, it's just uh, like I've watched a lot of fights in recent years, um, but none were like the ones I watched on YouTube of uh, you and Rick Tockett, where it's just like punch after punch. It's more more dancing now than it is uh, than it used to be. Well, I I, I don't want to disrespect the players today because they're. Yeah. I mean, they're better shape and they're hard worker. I just don't think that the impact of a fight is, is, is as large as it once was. But at the right time in the NHL today, it's necessary. And hopefully their teammates respect it and, and, and get a boost from it. But um, I would say they're worse or better today. It's just a, it's different. Um, the jerseys are very different as well. Back in our day when we were playing, they were big, oversized. Um, you can grab them. Today, they're, they're quite tight and aerodynamic. So um, I know that would be a different thing. 
Brad May, our guest. Uh, so, uh, you know, Canucks off to a good start. They're four and two. Uh, they're, they're playing better defensively. It seems like they they're buying into the coaches we talked about. What are you noticing with this, uh, this Canucks roster so far? Well, I just getting off to a great start, obviously playing against Edmonton, you know, the big, bad Edmonton Oilers, which, you know, they deserve that, that name. I mean, they're such a good team, obviously with two of the best players in the NHL. Um, that was a great start. And then, you know what, that, that road trip from, from the West coast out East, that first one, it's a great time for, you know, everybody talks about camaraderie and the guys getting together and becoming teammates gelling. Um, it's, it's important, but it's a tough one to actually go out there and come back obviously with, um, a a decent record. So I, I'm actually, I'm excited for them. Um, it's going to be a long year though. And of course, a lot of teams started slow, um, I think teams are going to come back into the pack and other teams are going to emerge. But Vancouver's, they've, they've shown they, they're a talented team. And a big part of their success early has been the way JT Miller and his line have been playing. And when you talk about somebody influencing or talk at influencing players on the team, seeing JT Miller engaged, good to start the season, and playing that type of rugged two-way hockey, that's got to be exactly what Rick Tockett wants to see. Well, he definitely, you know, definitely loves it, encourages it, and um, he wants every player to, you know, within themselves and their skill set to, to play like that. Um, but, you know, Brock Besser, huge comeback season, um, you know, great start for him. Um, I think, that, I'm going to throw it out there. Um, I know it's kind of crazy, but when they signed him last year, um, Kuzmenko, he's a mini Artemi Panarin. He really is. This guy, he's, he's going to be that guy. He's going to stick around with, 60, 70, 80 points. And um, I think that, that that was a great signing for two years. What was it, about five, five a year? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Vancouver fans wanted a higher draft pick. This guy's going to be a valuable player, and he's going to contribute immediately. So um, I like that signing. So, uh, you know, one interesting thing about the Canucks, you know, right now they're, they're leaning heavily on, uh, on Quinn Hughes, Philip Roenick and, uh, and, and Ian Cole, even uh, as their, their top three defensemen, you know, thinking back to uh, you know, that team you joined at the deadline, the Anaheim Ducks in, in 07 and went on to, to win the Stanley cup, uh, Scott Niedermeyer and, and Chris Pronger, they must've played what, 25 minutes a night. Even Francois Beauchemin had a big role on, on that D. You know, what does it do for a team to just uh, have that kind of talent back there that they can lean on and, and rely on? You know, I, I love, I, great question. Um, I love the fact that you brought up Francois Boschman's name. Um, obviously, he is not in that conversation with Chris Pronger and Scott Niedermeyer, but he played the most minutes in the playoffs for our team with a broken jaw in game, I believe it was game three against Minnesota in the first round. He literally got his jaw broken. He played with this crazy mask um, that guys play with didn't miss a sh- he missed one game um, because they they forced him. He wanted to play that game. By the way, um, it's so important to have you know character like that on the back end. But having a talent like Quinn Hughes, um, the whole Hughes family, these players, um, it, they're they're fun to watch. They're always on the highlight reel. Um, but Quinn Hughes, being a Vancouver Canuck, knowing that he's on the ice and he's gonna you know get get to the puck obviously get the puck out of his zone, but he's one of the best playmakers. Um, great passer. It is huge. I mean, playing with those types of players, you actually, do, sometimes you try to say that you, you believe your team can win the Stanley cup, but when you got players like that, I mean, it, it, it's, it's born in them. Um, 
I think that's a, that's a huge thing. I'm not saying Vancouver's going to win a cup immediately, but um, with their young, talented core, um, they're certainly built for it. Do you see some Scott Niedermeyer in, in Quinn Hughes? Say that again. I'm sorry. I missed that. Do you see some Scott Niedermeyer in Queen, Quinn Hughes? Yeah. And the, well, the big thing there is the skating ability, right? And, and because it's so beautiful and so great, his head is up. And I mean, he sees things that other players don't see because, you know, they're, their heads down when they're grinding to get to a puck. Um, he, he's aware out there. So, I mean, I see that Scotty was a little bigger stature as a, as a guy, but um, the game's a little different too. I think they're very, very similar. Um, the mobility is, is probably most, um, most similar. Uh, Brad May joining us and uh, Brad, you're going to be in town next week for the, uh, the can pro-am the Canucks autism network pro-am, which is a great event that uh, you're a regular at each and, and every year. And uh, last year, I think I lost every draw in the game we played against you. Uh, but uh, you know <laughs> what? It's, it's, it's still a blast every time that I get to get out there and, uh, and, and share the ice with you. It's uh, it's an awesome tournament. Uh, how come you keep coming back? Well, there's, there's many reasons for it, but number one, when we're out there on the ice, it's it's about having fun. It's about, you know, uh, for for us pros, if you will, the guys that you know get drafted to play in this event, um, which is an amazing experience for the teams and for guys like myself. Um, fun to meet new people. It's all about the experience on the ice and 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 having a great time. Number one, raising money for Canucks Autism Network. Obviously, um, the the Canucks are huge behind that. Their, their infrastructure that, have, that has been built over a number of years. Um, a lot of families. It's, it's one, in, one in two and a half families will be affected by autism or someone on the spectrum. I believe that's the number. I may be a little off. Um, this, is, this is hitting homes all across the mainland. I'm in Toronto right now. Um, and it's, it's in this world. My nephew has autism. Um, so the idea that I can go back to one of my favorite places in the world city that I absolutely loved and I get to play in a charity event for three days, meet great people, drink a little bit of booze and have a great weekend. Um, that's why I keep coming back year after year, but, um, great, great resources generated, um, for families and children that need it. Uh, Brad, uh, it's great. Great to hear that. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you next week at the event. I love it. Thank you again. See you guys. Uh, there is uh, Brad May, Canucks alumni, and uh, will be part of the Canucks Autism Network Pro-Am next week. Uh, still pretty good in the draw, uh, even though he's a winger. Uh, couldn't couldn't take him last year. Uh, former NHLers, still good. <laughs> more, at, more at 11. It still, uh, it still <laughs> amazes me every time, like just the way that... Uh, even no matter what age, you know, even Babbage when he's out there and oh. he's up there in age, but he could still like just slow down the game and do whatever he wants uh, with uh, moving the pieces around. Like he knows uh, exactly how to get us amateurs going to the places he wants us to and uh, all that. It's just crazy. Man. I mean, yeah. Dave Babbage was one of my favorite Canucks, but also like, I think I, I always mention this cause I want people to know, like he was a really good defenseman, like in a really good offensive defenseman for many years, like especially in Hartford, like yeah. the guy, I could play man like so i i don't know I, I haven't checked up on this stat but i think dave babich is the defenseman with the most amount of points that isn't in the hall of fame yeah. he, he put up like 700 points in the 723 NHL. points yeah. yeah 
I mean, he had uh, he had a seventy four point season. He had two sixty plus point seasons, numerous uh, fifty and forty point seasons. Yep. So kind of like underrated, you might oh, say yeah. about Dave Babbage. I mean, he and was an un- unbelievable guy, and he had a uh, yeah. I mean, w- without question, and he played what eighteen, almost nineteen years in the NHL. Yeah. You know, and he was in Vancouver during most of the back half of his career. And just a steady, steady influence. Uh, this text, no way you just compared Hughes, Roenick, and Cole to Niedermeyer and Pronger. Nobody was comparing anybody other than the minutes they played for those teams. And uh, right now, uh, well, last night, what, they all played over 23 minutes? Hughes, Roenick, and, uh, and Cole? 27 for Hironic, 27 and change, and Hughes, 25 and change, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and over 23 for Cole. for Cole. And then it was, I think, Friedman 15-something. Yeah. And then Myers and uh, was 13 and change. And I think same for or for Susie, 14 or so. And it's we, what we've talked about with the blueprint of how the D by committee is going to work. It's going to work because they're going to lean on those three guys a ton. Yeah. and that's Well, that's how they plan on making That's it all work. they can do until they find some reinforcements. Yeah. You know, and you know, like we mentioned yesterday, and if you missed the show, go back and, and listen to it for sure, because we broke down to how the Canucks are generating and getting out of their own zone. Yeah. When Pedersen's not with Hughes and Hironic, because Hughes and Hironic have been generally playing with JT Miller five on five, less time with Elias Pedersen. And Elias Pedersen, you saw it even last night against Nashville. How often was he back deep? Yeah. Getting the puck out of the ice, making smart defensive plays, kickstarting the transition. Like he, he's such a all-encompassing player when he's on the ice. Not to say you don't want him and Hughes out there together, but it's like you can make up a lot having a center like him be the focal point of your breakout. Uh, So uh, it's more about where the usage is going to be, and it's likely to be that the Canucks are leaning on those three players quite a bit on the back end. Uh, not to say that, uh, you know, they've got two Hall of Famers <laughs> back there. They've probably got one uh, in Quinn Hughes, the way his career is projecting, but uh, not quite Scott Niedermeyer and Chris Pronger. Uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Overrated, underrated. That's coming up next on Sports at 650.